0: Welcome to The Porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics. We examine the Word of God, and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, I believe we find the church the Lord intended, and not the one that man created. The porch was created to restore the priesthood of the believer, regain that world-shaking influence that the early church had, reboot the upper room, and get back to where we were designed to be. We believe the day of Pentecost is ongoing, that the fire still falls. It's available to you if you want it. If you have any questions, please visit firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button, or you can write us at the Porch at FirefallTalkRadio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, go to FirefallTalkRadio.com. The bottom of the home page there are ways to do that. Pray and give as the Lord leads. For those of you that do, we truly appreciate your support and encouragement, as well as your prayers. And welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Remember, if you need prayer or you want to pray for others in the porch community, just reach out to us and let us know. So let's pray. Let's get started right away. No delays, no distractions. Father, we just come to you as your children. We say, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, Abba. What a wonderful word to describe you and our relationship with you. We thank you for how much you love us, for loving us even when we are and were unlovable. You love us anyway. Even after everything Adam did, you made a way out. And that way was Yeshua your only begotten son who you gave to us to pay our debts for us a debt that we were never going to be able to pay we were never going to be able to settle that debt with you but he did he did it with his blood every drop every drop of blood in his body we thank you lord for doing that we thank you for enduring the pain the shame and all that you allowed them to do to you as the Lamb of God. But even more so, we're thankful that you rose from the dead, that you are alive, that you sit at the right hand of the Father in fullness and power. And we are blessed to sit with you in the heavenly places. And I pray my brothers and sisters right now would sense that, would feel that, would know what that feels like. And Lord, we also thank you for sending back the Holy Spirit, same Spirit that raised you from the dead to be inside of us, to guide us, to walk with us, teach us, encourage us. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your encouragement, for your favor, for your teaching, for your empowering presence. Now, we pray over this technology we pray a hedge protection around it, over us and all that we have. We ask that you bless us, bless Jerusalem, bless America. We pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, and those that are victims of injustice, the prevailing injustice of a fallen world. We thank you, Lord, for protecting us from evil and from the evil one. So do as you will tonight, Holy Spirit. Take the Word. Take this time. Touch each person. Change their lives. Let us become what you desire us to be. And we pray all those things. And if you agree with me, just say, Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So settle in. Open your Bibles. We have a lot of Scripture tonight. We always have a lot of Scripture, but even more so tonight. We're continuing our look at Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. And originally, I was going to finish it off with the last part of Romans 12, verse 13, but the Lord said, no, we're going to do the second half of verse 12. And that's the call to be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Believers are called to endure and overcome until the Lord returns. If we're going to behave like a believer in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if we're going to be what the world needs us to be, then everything flows from our relationship with him. It's all about him. And the foundation of it is love. Love for him, love from him, and love for others. And if we can't love, we can't serve him. And if we can't endure, we can't be used by him. Let your love be sincere, be sincere, a real thing. Hate what is evil, loathe all ungodliness, turn in horror from wickedness. But hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family. Giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice and exalt in hope. Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people, sharing in the necessity of the saints. Pursue the practice of hospitality. Now, if you have been with us the whole time, And this is part six. Then you're seeing the pattern as one builds to another and is dependent upon the one before it. Next week we'll tie it all together. But today the Lord wants us to focus on being steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. That word steadfast means unwavering, persistent, resolute, firm unfaltering. And the two that get tied together in suffering and tribulation, they always go together. Suffering is anguish, discomfort, hardship, misery, misfortune, or torment. Tribulation, adversity, affliction, grief, that word misery again, misfortune, and heartache. Now you 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 take all that and you look at it and you go gee thanks paul sign me up for some of that but see paul was talking from personal experience the apostles were talking from personal experience the lord's example is personal experience this is not a topic that many people want to talk about it's right below the topic of sin as least favorite topics. Nobody wants to hear about sin. and Nobody wants to hear about suffering and tribulation. But what I'm about to lay out for you is scripture after scripture after scripture, that that's what we were told to prepare for. You look at Acts 12.1 Herod's violence against the church at that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. From the the very beginning of the book of Acts, church, our foundation, suffering and tribulation was part of the deal. Paul taught on it a lot, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. "...manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution." 2 Timothy 3.12 states the case that if you desire to live godly in the Lord, you will suffer persecution in this world. There's no getting away from it. We're being taught this through experiential knowledge and testimony. 2 Corinthians one seven, And our hope for you is steadfast. Because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also will you partake of the consolation. The church was founded on the Lord's blood. It was founded on the bloods of the saints, starting with Stephen, first one to be martyred. It was founded upon the violence against the church committed by Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul. It was a war from the word go, a war against the fallen world, a war against HaSatan and the fallen and those that they controlled. And nothing has changed except our perspective of it and what we are taught. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living god but exhort one another daily while it's called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin for we have become partakers of messiah if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end i know from me from the time of being a baby believer almost 34 years ago to now my troubles begin when i don't hold steadfast when i begin to doubt when i begin to waver when i begin to question or look to the right or to the left 1 corinthians 15:58 therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your labor is not vain in the lord Right here now, August of 2022, final day of August the 31st, being steadfast seems to be more relevant than ever. If you spend too much time watching what's going on in the world or fill your mind with too many things of the world, there's not enough room left for heavenly things. And that will depress you. It will oppress you. We need hope. Well, if we need hope, then why are you talking to me about this, Richard? Because once you understand that this is part of the package, it won't be so shocking. Colossians 1, starting verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you paid attention over the last year, actually if you paid attention since the beginning of the porch, I always take you back to hope. I always take you back to love. I always take you back to faith. Because without those things, you will not endure. There are teachers and preachers and people out there that are going to twist the Scriptures for their sake, to manipulate an offering, and they will take you down a dark, dangerous, destructive road, which is why I hit you with Scripture After Scripture, after Scripture, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Second Peter 3, verses 17 and 18. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, lest any of you fall from your own steadfastness, be led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus the Messiah. It's really sad that there are so many people offering error and false beliefs because what they're doing is they're leading to the suffering of the saints because the enemy is working through them to pounce upon those who have lost their hope and who have lost their way and who have wandered off. And you don't have to step too far off that path before they come for you. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, your adversary the adversary, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, literally tear apart, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Again, Peter was offering you experiential knowledge. It's what he experienced, and I gave you Acts 12, verse one. Well, let's hear the whole story. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass, harass. Excuse me, some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the Days of Unleavened Bread, so when he had him arrested, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now remember, this is the Peter whose shadow healed people. This is a member of the Book of Acts church that was turning things upside down with signs and wonders that didn't stop the demonically possessed Herod from making a move on Peter. He used his power to put Peter in jail with the desire to keep him there, and he put four squads of soldiers in place to make sure that it happened. But you know what Herod learned? That the Lord was in charge, not him. Some of the leaders today need to understand that. The Lord's in charge, not them. They can do whatever they're going to do. But eventually, he's the one who has the final say. Verse 5, And Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Fervent prayer. Nonstop prayer. Petitioning the throne room. Praying for individuals. And what happened? Well, you know the story. Peter was freed from prison. God, using an angel, leads Peter right out, past the four squads, and right to his praying friends. Who, of course, did not believe it was Peter, wrote or answered the door. You know the whole story. But he not only broke them free, he then said, come on, go to Chesarea. Keep spreading the gospel. Tell the people the good news. And the message of the kingdom of God advanced despite the opposition of Herod. And it's funny, as they were praying, and yet they didn't believe it was Peter. He had to keep knocking at the door. They finally recognized that God had performed a miracle. How many people you know, do you know, that have a hard time accepting when God performs a miracle for themselves or for someone else? They pray for it, and when they get one, they question it. So what happens? Herod goes looking for Peter. They can't find him. He kills all the guards. But you know what, Herod met his own painful death, divine judgment on his conceit when he accepted the people's worship. Even Josephus in Antiquities of the Jews tells the story about Herod Agrippa and his death. I don't pray for anybody's death. I don't want anybody's death. I know the Lord will in his own timing, in his own way, just like he did with Herod. He will get all the glory. We will not participate. And truthfully, our first prayer should be that they get saved, healed, and delivered. But if they're beyond redemption, if they are reprobate, then the Lord should do whatever the Lord does in those situations. Now, the King James Version uses the word affliction for tribulation. Same word, same thought, same experience. You know, the other thing we get from Acts 12, the enemy, like Herod, is going to do what the enemy does. Stop being surprised when it happens. Resist him, as Peter says, steadfast in the faith, Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood, by your family in the world, by your fellow believers. That's why you tell people. That's why you ask for prayer. You seek out people who know what you're going through because they've experienced it. Say, hey, would you pray for me? That person's going to pray from their heart, they're going to pray in a different way because they've been through it. And the biggest danger you can get into is begin to question God and say, why? Why me? Why this? The purpose of what we go through is to test and mature our faith. Augustine says trials come to prove and improve us. That was a difficult one for me and at times still is. I mean, who really likes to go through trials and tribulations? Hey, give me some. I'll take a second helping. No. (laughs) No. When it's over, we want it over. We don't want to see it again. Please, sir. More. No. No. No, nobody does that. But it's a part of the package. It's a part of living in a fallen world. It's a part of being here until the Lord returns. But he told us it was going to be this way. Go with me to Mark chapter 4, and this is uh, the parable of the sower. We're going to pick it up with verse 13 after he tells the parable. And they ask him, what does it mean? He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word which was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, so they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. Well, if you look at verse 15, the thing that jumps out is when they hear Satan comes immediately to uproot their newfound faith. He doesn't wait. He doesn't take the chance that you might grow some roots. He doesn't want you to experience the grace and the wonder of God. He's going to come immediately. He's going to send his minions immediately, not the little cute yellow minions. No, no, real ugly demonic minions. And he's going to send them to seek, kill, and destroy. But you've got to understand this, and you've got to run those roots deep, and you've got to water the Word with the Spirit, praise and worship, opening your Bible, listening to the porch, getting the Word inside of you, fellowshipping with others. And if you can't do it personally because of long distance, then you do it online, We have Zoom, we have FaceTime, we have Skype. We have all these things that allow you to connect with people. The enemy uses it for such ugly, and the word nefarious comes to mind, but such demonic things, why can't we take advantage of that? Maybe you're in a different time zone. We'll we'll figure it out. If there were enough people that I knew would log into Zoom for special sessions of the porch or uh, seminar or get-togethers because it would cost extra than what I pay now for Zoom to have larger groups like that. I would do it. But here's the problem I find. I lay out a banquet for you, and only a handful of you really want it. You savor it, you wait for it, you eat it. There should be more. There should be more that want to eat like this. And it's not just me when Shelley was, was still actively preaching. And I've shared with you that he laid out a banquet, and that's why I learned it from. He'd actually have people come to him and say, can you teach a little less so that we can get out early and get to Morrison's for the buffet on time? Or he would do Bible studies and they would ask him to tone it down. And he finally just said no and stopped doing the Bible studies. Hunger. Hunger for the word, hunger for the for the fruit, hunger for the for the water of the spirit. Father, I pray that your sons and your daughters will hunger for you through thirst for righteousness, who want to feast upon everything that you've given us. I know that was the heart's desire of Paul. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, We are, are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Here we go, verse 5. Another part that nobody wants to hear, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God, to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord, Yeshua, Mashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, And from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints. And to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore we also pray always for you. That our God would count you worthy of this calling. And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. And the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord. Adonai, Yeshua, HaMashiach. See, Paul is writing about persecution, that he wrote about it in First Thessalonians 4 which had only gotten worse after he wrote about it. See, the enemy doesn't like when you point out something. The enemy does not like to be revealed. He doesn't like to be defeated. See, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, he says, You became followers of us in the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. From you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Faith went out. We need to live the gospel. We need to show the world the faith that we have. The answer is, to the test of tribulation. I'm going to give it to you. Ready? The answer to the test of tribulation is faith. There it is. I gave you the answer. You can't fail now. People are looking for the church to be the church, not to perform, not to talk about being the church, but literally be the church, to act it, to walk what we talk I was in uh, the Apple store Monday. I had to get something fixed. And, of course, while I'm waiting, other people are waiting. And there was a gentleman with his uh, son in his stroller. I asked him how old his son was. He was 18 months. We got to talking. He was talking about our grandson. Got to going back and forth. He was from Orlando, born and raised here. And that whole time that I had to wait for them to finally show up, he and I interacted. I didn't preach the gospel, but I showed him the Lord. And when it was done, when it was time for me to leave, I blessed him and his son. I don't know if he was a believer or not. I really don't. I don't care. But I blessed him. not too long ago, we were in public leaving. And as we were taking our groceries to the car, a woman who was in a handicapped spot got into the passenger seat. She was having trouble closing the door, and I simply said, can I close that for you? And she was like, oh, my goodness, that would be so great. I said, no problem. God bless you. She goes, oh, God bless you, and I closed the door. That's all it was. It was acting out the gospel. It was letting them know, this is who I believe, and I'm doing this for him, for you. The world doesn't want that. Maybe your family doesn't want that. Who cares? Shine the light in the darkness because people are dying. They need to know that Yeshua is real. They need to know that there's a God in heaven that loves them and is real. But the truth is, We're in a world under the sway of the wicked one that not only doesn't want that, will do everything it can to stop it, but keep going. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, red letters. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days, but be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Whoa, time out, Lord. Time out, time out on the field, me. Be faithful until death? Yeah, that's what he said. Wait, that, that's not my best life now. He's not going to let me die. He just said, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. The Nelson Study Bible says the crown of life may be the victory wreath of the martyr, following the normal Greek, use of the crown for the crown for the garland given to winners in athletic events. James chapter 1 verse 12 promises the crown of life to believers who persevere under trial. Such perseverance will result in the ultimate enjoyment of life in God's kingdom. I will say it again and I'm making a play on a title of a book But a person I believe to be a false teacher, your best life is not now. The believer is called to be faithful to death. And if you do, you're promised the crown of life, one of the many crowns that we can earn, which is a wonderful experience of life in the hereafter which means you're not only getting deliverance from the second death, but you're experience, experiencing excuse me your eternity, but even your life now to a richer degree. Charles Spurgeon says trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and they let us see what we are made of. There have been a lot of people I've met over these almost 34 years of being saved who, as Paul said, thought they were something, but they were nothing to me. Because when the trials came, when the troubles came, they not only compromised, but they sold me out or sold my wife out or, you know, attacked others. They got squeezed, and what came out of them wasn't good. The trials will teach us who who and what we are. They will stir up the soil, And we'll learn real quickly what we're made of. But my hope is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He warned us in John 10, 10, that a thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Thieves take life. In this case, it's the thieves of the kingdom of darkness. But the shepherd gives it. He protects his flock. He gave his life for the flock. And that abundant life is in cars and riches and homes and clothing. That abundant life is salvation. It's nourishment. It's healing. It's deliverance. It's seeing somebody you love spend eternity with you in paradise. John 10, 9, I am the door. The Lord says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That life is eternal life, God's life. It's a quality of life, an endless quality of life with Messiah. Even now here on earth, it can be a higher quality, it can be better My life is better than it was before I got saved. He gave me back my family. He gave me a calling. He gave me a relationship. He gave me access to the throne room that he could invite me in and I can go. He gave me the ability to be complete and perfected in him. And to do that, He had to lay down his physical life so that we could have eternal life. If that doesn't cause you to love him with a passion, something's wrong. If the fire is going out or you don't feel it anymore, I tell everybody, go back to the cross. Go back to what he did for you. Look at what he suffered for you make it personal but know this no matter how bad it gets no matter what the enemy does god your heavenly father abba will relieve your suffering and will judge those that persecute you maybe he won't do it in in your time he'll do it in his time but he will do it you have been counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you suffer. But he's going to come with his angels in a flaming fire, and he's going to take vengeance upon those in the world that have persecuted his church and killed his children and done what they've done to them, and they will suffer eternally. I don't wish that on anybody. I'm not one of those people that casually wishes that upon people. I think there's something wrong about that. But he's going to be glorified. And he's going to deal with those that have done harm to his children. As believers, we are called to endure the suffering in this world. And if we do we receive a far greater reward in the next. You're not doing it for the reward. You're not doing it for the crowns, even though I've kind of visualized, how am I going to wear all these crowns? Do they fit inside of one another? Do I wear them with different clothing? I don't know. But that's not why we do it. It was a visual. You had to stay with me on that one. But we know it's going to happen. At least I do. Because of what I do, the enemy's always looking to take a shot. He's always looking to get in a stone, an accusation, a dig. It's not easy, but I know it's coming. Paul knew about it. Acts 14, 30, verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and persuaded the multitudes and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Now we know later on when Paul describes being stoning, he mentions being stoned to death, being raised from the dead. And when they stone you, they, they get up close. They take their clothes off because they know the blood's going to splatter. And they bounce rocks off of you. And they aim for your head because they want to kill you. But Paul survived. He rose from the dead and he went and preached. Then he goes to Derby and he preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. And then he returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. No wonder Paul was shaking the world. No wonder Paul was converting the Gentiles. He was living it. He was walking it. He was experiencing it. We've gotten too glib. We've gotten too high-tech, too good-looking. We need some short, balding guys with bad eyes who can survive being stoned to death right about now. John Charles Ryle was an English evangelical Anglican bishop, actually the first Anglican bishop of Liverpool. This is what he said. Trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the Word, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees. It's time you stopped drinking milk and start eating some meat. Some of you have been with me since day one or for at least a very long time. And you're still struggling to chew on the meat that you're given. And that's not condemnation, but that's me trying to encourage you open your Bibles, spend more time in prayer. If you don't have access to the software and all the books that I do, so what? It's free online. Go to Bible Gateway. And if you want extra, you can pay you know, for membership. But there's, there's so many websites that give you access to the Word. There's no excuse not to study, not to know what this says. Get it inside of you. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. I know you're tired. I'm tired. I get weary. I try not to use the word tired. I use the word weary. But rest, rest will come to those who endure. Relief is coming. Let me say that to you. For those of you that have struggled in in prayer and in tribulations and all the things we're talking about tonight, waiting for the blessing, for the breakthrough, for whatever it is, relief is coming. Now, there will be rest. There will be a final relief from affliction when Messiah returns. But it's going to get a little bloody before then. I don't mean to scare you, shock you, but I'm telling you what the word tells you it's not going to get better. The false prophets and the false teachers of this day that are telling you God's going to intervene and fix everything that is wrong are not reading their Bible. They're not seeing what the Lord said. They're not seeing what the disciples said. It doesn't get better before he comes back. It gets worse, which makes us more important. The darker it gets, the brighter we shine. Revelation 6, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. The closer to the end we get, the worse the attacks will be. And it won't end until the fullness of time, when the number that he knows is enough, occurs. And these are the ones that will be martyred between the rapture of the church. Yes, I believe that, and I've taught on it. And if you want me to, I'll do it again. So many out there says, oh, none of that's true. I'm sorry, they're not in the Word. They're not telling you what the Word says. They've taken things out of context. But between the rapture of the church and the fifth seal, which is the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, is going to be a period in which all the events of the seals and the first six trumpets occur. And there are many, maybe millions, that will be martyred by the great whore of Babylon that we know about in Revelation 17, who rules the ten kings of the old Roman Empire and while the Antichrist comes to power over them. We can't be here when the Antichrist arrives. That which restrains him is the church. The he is the Holy Spirit. The world wanted him. The world's going to get him, but we will not endure the time of Jacob's trouble. So the race that we run, the warfare on this earth, includes trials and tribulations, strife and misery and heartache, but the coming of the Lord which should stir your heart every time you think about it. The coming of Messiah will give us a release from that tension forever. The promise of eternal rest, a future eternal rest, helps us to endure the present trials. When Messiah comes, he'll destroy the enemies of the gospel. And he'll rescue the persecuted. Because there will be some on earth that will not. That will be saved by the Messianic 144,000 that preach the gospel. And they'll be rescued. But a future event calls for a present response. And who are the responders? Us. We need to tell people that if you if you live the gospel, if you're in the gospel, if you're a part of the gospel, then you have confidence of rescue. Those that disobey won't. They're, they're going to experience just the opposite. And I'll tell you this, God's final judgment, in his glory, all things are going to be evened out. All deaths by the enemy are going to be paid, all slates cleared. So I ask you, can you endure until then? Can you make it? Can you hold on? Charles Spurgeon says, you may readily judge whether you are a child of God or a hypocrite by seeing in what direction your soul turns in seasons of severe trial. The hypocrite flies to the world and finds a sort of comfort there. But the child of God runs to his or her father and expects consolation only from the Lord's hands. Can you hold on? Can you endure? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns It is Messiah who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Messiah. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written in Psalm 44, verse 22, in case you wanted to know, for your sake, We are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now get ready. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us From the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. It's all good, no matter what. It's all good. Be encouraged. No matter how bad it looks right now, it's all good. He's in control. He's still on the throne. Nothing has changed. So how do we hold on? We hold on by reading the word. We hold on by the example of those that have gone before us. Hebrews twelve one through 3. Therefore, we also, you and me and everybody listening, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Yeshua, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Remember I said I used the word weary, not tired. I get weary of the attacks. I get weary of all the things the enemy does. But I know that he endured more. Whenever they say all sorts of ugly things about me and what I do for the kingdom, I can't really complain because they said worse things about him. See, all of this is about you behaving like a believer in your individual lives, in your family life, in your corporate life, being the church. So when I say to you, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. You have a better understanding now. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Well, why would you give preference? Because you're all in this together and you've all endured something and and somebody brings something else to somebody else to encourage them and to hold them and to hug them. Not lagging in diligence, but being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord because it's all about him. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer and distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, because you know what it what it's like to need, but see then Paul goes on, and I haven't read this one yet, but it ties into everything that you've been through that I've just talked about in verse fourteen: Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Can you do it? Can you hold on? Can you endure? Can you shine? Can you offer a smile or or a hug or a Food or clothing or shelter or or a blessing? As you've been blessed, bless others. Can you do that? Can you care about your brothers and sisters and Messiah? Not just here on the porch, but all of them? See, this is a preparation. The porch has always been about preparing for the return of the king, but that means preparing for everything that happens before then. So, Father, I come to you now in the name of Yeshua. Abba, I come to you marked by the blood, my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, called by you to do what I do. And I come to you and petition you for mercy where mercy is needed, for healing where healing is needed, for encouragement where encouragement is needed, for fire where the fire is going out or has not been kept right, send an angel to feed the fire and stoke the flames. I come to you as one of your children on behalf of your children. We need you. We need more of you. We can't do this without you. You gave us a job and a calling that we're dependent upon you to fulfill. No matter how old we are, we're still just little children. We stumble, we fall. But we're desperate for you. We're desperate to be able to run this race and make it to the end. We're desperate for the ability to not grow weary while doing good, knowing that in high time, the answers will come. Send an infusion right now, Lord, to the person whose head is bowed down, and they just don't know if they can go on anymore. They hear what I'm saying, but they can't activate it. They've been so drugged by this world and the enemy has so overwhelmed them that all they can think about is eternity. Now, Lord, if that's your will and that's where you want them, then that's your call. But if that's not your will and if they're not done and if there's still something for them to do here, my brothers and sisters, we touch and we agree for that individual, for those people that need freedom, that need the glory to shine upon them, to drive the enemy off of them, to turn around out of the darkness and into the light and find their way out. I pray that for each and every person right now that is caught in this cloud of trouble and, and anger And pain and all the things that has become a whirlwind around them. And I say, peace be still, find your way out. Find your way to him. And if need be, we'll come in and get you. Father, please, please hear this prayer. I know that you do. And I know that you have. I just pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.